Everybody doing good? Do I have any Bengals fans out of curiosity in here? Rams? Any Rams fans? All right, there's a couple. I get it. Rams, yeah. LA's kind of far. I get it. Hey, man, everybody doing good? Good. Good. Awesome. Well, uh, Clark did a great job last week. Don't you guys think? Wasn't that awesome last week? It was his third time preaching, so he better do pretty good, is what I say, you know. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But um, this week we're going to talk about um, something different that we don't normally talk about, but it'll be fun. It'll be interesting. Um, how many of you guys have ever been? This is just a, I'm going to start off with a question. How many of you guys have ever been uh, to church? This is in the past. I'm sure not here, but been to church where the pastor came and kind of told you, like, hey, there's some sin that you need to overcome. Anybody ever had that? And then they kind of give you the tips on how to overcome that sin. And then ask, and tell me this, have you ever gone home, and then you actually did that sin, and then you were, like, disappointed about that, and then you went back to church the following Sunday, pastor said, hey, this is the sin that you need to overcome this week, and then cycle continues on and on and on. Anybody ever been there? I know I was there for a long time. Um, uh, it kind of reminds me of... Um, the dog track. I know that's a weird thing to think about for a dog track, but has anybody ever been to the dog track? Not promoting the dog track. Some people are nervous to raise their hand. It's okay. I get it. Um, I, I can't say whether dog tracks are good or dog tracks are bad. We're not getting into that debate today. Um, but there, back in Sarasota, when, where I, used to, I grew up, uh, there was a dog track um, over there, and when I was a kid, we used to drive by it all the time, and my parents, I remember asking them one day, like, what, you know, what's the dog track all about? And my parents actually took us uh, over there. You weren't allowed to go in because we were kids, and I remember my dad lifting me up to kind of peek in, and you could see the dogs running around the track, okay? Um, something I didn't realize that I kind of uh, found out here recently is that something you may not know is that the dogs actually never catch the thing that they're running after, Okay? And the thing that they're running after, I've got this cute little bunny here, right? Like, this is not what they're running after. But my kids had it. It's a rabbit, so it works. I actually was at somebody's house this last week, and I, they, I was playing with the toy, and I thought, maybe I'll bring them. I'm like, no, I'll bring my own bunny. All right. So, uh, so they call it a hare, okay, representing of a rabbit. And uh, it's not a real rabbit that they put on there. And something I found out that they do is they bring this before they release the dogs, is, is the announcer walks out and he takes uh, what looks to be like a rag or a rabbit and he waves it out in front of the dogs, okay? And he says, everybody's going to catch Dusty today, all right? And he kind of waves it in front of the dogs. I don't know if it gets the dogs excited. I don't know what it does. But he waves it in front and says, everybody's going to catch Dusty. And then he takes this thing that looks like a rag and kind of wraps it up against uh, this robotic arm and then you hear whatever the countdown is, three, two, one, and they release the dogs, okay, and the dogs go around, and then what's, like I said, what's fascinating is the dogs run right back into the cage, and then the race is over, okay? But I didn't realize, I thought they actually caught the rabbit. I thought that that was a part of the thing, but they actually are not supposed to catch the rabbit. That's the whole thing. They're supposed to chase after the rabbit. And uh, I really got to thinking about that. Uh, there was, there, so I looked, I looked some of it up, and uh, there was a, a dog named Aladdin. Okay, I know you're thinking of uh, a certain Aladdin, right? Everybody thinks of this Aladdin, but it wasn't that Aladdin. It was another 
Aladdin named, a dog named Aladdin, okay? It's an actual greyhound. And this is up in Jacksonville, okay? Um, I had to look this whole story up, but it was interesting. Aladdin actually caught, okay, the rabbit, caught Dusty, caught it, and ripped it off of the robotic arm because the robotic arm malfunctioned, and he ripped it off there. And then he started swinging the rabbit around, which is kind of like, I guess, what they do when they catch it. Uh, but he's swinging it around, and then, he, and then I guess it spit the rabbit out, and then it was they said that the dog was really disappointed to find out that the rabbit wasn't real, okay? Dusty wasn't real. And then the true story is that uh, Aladdin never ran like he ran again, okay? That was like it. Once they find out that the rabbit isn't real, then they never run like they ran that before that day. And it kind of reminded me of this whole sin thing, like overcoming sin every single week. You come in, the pastor tells you this, this is the sin that you need to overcome, and then you need to overcome it, and then yet, when we actually get there, and I don't know if, you, if you've ever arrived there, you come to find out that you actually can't overcome the sin. And it's it very disheartening, it's very sad, and, and you almost want to give up, you almost want to throw in the towel. Anybody ever been there? Um, and I and actually looked up, you know, I'm like, you know, let's talk about sin. Let's just talk about it. Like, let's go ahead and talk about sins. And I don't want to just talk about any sin. I want to talk about the seven deadly sins. Everybody go, ooh, right? Um, I had to look it up. I didn't know what the seven deadly sins were. Um, I have a template. I'm not going to put it on here, um, but I have a template that I printed out from a denominational uh, church. Um, and I looked up a lot of this stuff. And these are this is what churches are teaching uh, people on on, they give each sin, each seven deadly sin, and then they tell you what, how to overcome that sin. And that's something we're going to go through. Uh, we're going to use kind of those seven deadly sins as the, as the guidepost, if you will, for the next couple weeks. And then, but I, I, not, I don't want to just give you the sin. I want to give you the spin, okay? I want to give you the counterpunch um, as to how to deal with these things that, that are being preached, okay? Everybody cool with that? So the first deadly sin we're going to talk about is lust, Okay? I'm talking about lust. And the answer, they say, to overcoming lust is to be pure. I'm like, well, that's easy. I mean, come on. Like, just be pure, right? Um, another one that I loved was keep busy. <laughs> right? Just keep busy. Keep busy. Another one was exercise. Okay? Exercise. That's why we have the gym over here next to the church. When you leave, you got to go exercise, all right? We're a template for other churches to figure out, you know, this is what you do. Anyways, uh, but I had a friend that struggled with uh, the sin, and, and when, as we're talking about these sins, we're going to all say that we have friends that struggle with these things, because none of us actually struggle with these things, all right? But I had a friend, his name was Ben, this really was a friend, and um, Ben had been going through a hard time, okay? And he was struggling, and so he picked up a book. This was like early 90s, late, or, or late 90s, early 2000s. I don't know if you guys remember the book. It was called Every Man's Battle, all right? Dr. Henry Cloud, John Townsend, okay, great guys. They have great material out there. But I remember something that he read in this book talked about bouncing the eyes, okay? Anytime you're struggling with this, you bounce your eyes, you look away. And I remember seeing him in a store, this, this friend of mine, and he literally was walking around like this. I walked up to him, I go, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? And he's like, oh, hey, sorry, I was just, you know, just trying to keep my eyes pure, right? And, uh, and one of the things that he read in this book, and then I know that churches teach, is um, if, 
obviously you can't stay completely pure, so you have to 1 John 1, 9, okay? 1 John 1, 9, um, and I want to read to you 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And see, I believe the, the, the answer that they give is basically you, it's impossible to keep yourself completely pure, um, so you have to stay kind of confessed up, okay? You, gotta, you have to stay fessed up. And I, I'd love to take you on the, the journey of 1 John 1, 9 and, and who he was talking to and the context and all those things, but we're not going to spend a whole lot of time there. Um, if you want to, we can talk about it after, but um, what, they, what they preach is confession is key. Confession is key. And the more you confess, the better you'll be at overcoming things. Um, sometimes they'll say, you're not overcoming because you're not quick to repent, okay? You're not quick to repent. Like I pictured the Wild West, right? If you're going to be quick to repent, like the moment you sin, you got to be quick to repent, okay? <laughs> right? I'm sorry, God. Um, or I used to pray this way. I don't know if you guys ever prayed this way. I used to pray, God, forgive me of my past sins, Forgive me of the sins that I've committed today, and God, please forgive me for the sins that I don't know that I'm going to commit. Then I'd even throw a little loop on there, and God, forgive me of the sins that I don't know that I even committed, right? These were actual prayers that I did. Um, and I truly thought by saying sorry over and over, it strengthened my ability to not sin. And truth is, I know people that have said they're sorry for years you probably know people that have said they're sorry for years, and they're still committing the same sins that they're saying that they're sorry for, that they've been taught. All you got to do is say, confess, you know, all you have to do is confess, and then you'll overcome. But I want to say today that no amount of saying you're sorry will reduce the sin in your life. I'll say it again. No amount of saying you're sorry will reduce the sin in your life. I think confession of God to, or to God is great. Like, saying you're sorry to God, I'm not going to take that away from anybody. I will never take that away. Like, you want to say you're sorry to God, that's totally good. But I actually believe, as far as confession, of more of confession of who God is and who you are in relationship to God. I think that you should have more of a reality of who he is and how much he loves you and how much he's not stressed out about the things that you're stressed out about and who you are in him than a confession of sin. So the number one spin to overcoming sin is understanding his forgiveness. Understanding his forgiveness. I believe that when you truly understand that God has already forgiven you, your struggling will cease, right? When you truly, when you get a better understanding of how much God has forgiven you, the struggle of trying to overcome your sin will not be as difficult. I don't know if you guys ever heard, have you ever heard people say grace is a license to sin? Anybody ever heard that before? That's just a license to sin, right? I think that confession of sin is more of a license to sin. Think about it. You're literally telling people all you have to do is say you're sorry the moment that you sinned. That's more, I think, of a license to sin. Grace is a license for us to view ourselves how God does. Grace is a license for us to view ourselves how God does. Even John Calvin said, how can the medicine of grace that's supposed to kill the disease feed the disease sin? God isn't as worried as we are about saying we are sorry to him. I'll say that again. God 
isn't as worried as we are about saying that we're sorry to him. Think about Jesus on the cross. You guys remember the, the story about Jesus on the cross? And he had the two thieves on both sides. And one of the thieves said, um, remember me, right? Remember me um, when you're going to your kingdom. And, and if you remember what Jesus said, he didn't say, I can tell you what he didn't say, is he didn't say, hey, what got you up here on the cross? <laughs> what was it that, can you tell me real quick, like, because I need to know that before I say anything. No, he said, I assure you today, we will be in paradise. Okay? Ephesians 4.32, it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. My question today is, why are we spending so much time confessing that which he's already forgiven? Why are we spending so much time focused on the things that we need to ask for forgiveness if he's already forgiven us, right? God is not actively sitting up in heaven waiting on us to ask for forgiveness. Okay, yep, you said, you said it right. Oh, no, you could add that a little bit to it, and then I'll give you my forgiveness. No, he's, he's already forgiven us 2,000 years ago. Hebrews 8.12, it says, For I will demonstrate my mercy to them and will forgive their evil deeds and never again, or never remember again their sins. So I, God, will demonstrate my mercy, right? I, God, will demonstrate my mercy. When was his mercy demonstrated? Anybody know? When was his, dem his mercy demonstrated? Was it when we asked for it? Was it when we said, God, I'm so sorry today. I'm so sorry for the future. And something I want to challenge you on, like if I, if I have the audacity to ask God to forgive me of the sins that are in my future, do you not think that God, who's not constrained by time, could not also forgive our sins of the future that we haven't committed already, right? Hebrews, I already read that to you. Our forgiveness has nothing to do with our asking. It has everything to do with when God demonstrated his mercy. And never remember again their sins. The reason God has forgotten isn't because he's forgetful. Anybody know that? The reason God has forgotten isn't because he's forgetful, but it's because he's already pardoned our sins. I had a friend uh, over in Melbourne that um, we were kind of about to graduate high school, and he had started kind of hanging out with the wrong crowd, and he started stealing stereo systems, right? Back when it was kind of easy to stere steal stereo systems in the 90s. And uh, he started stealing the stereo systems, and he eventually got caught. And I remember being devastated for him. I thought, this is going to ruin his life. And, um, you know, we were all praying for him as a church and, and writing him letters and all that kind of stuff. And when he got to the judge, the judge actually pardoned the whole thing. He forgave everything that he had done and wiped it completely clean to the point that it changed his life for the future. And I believe God, he has the forethought to not only forgive our sins in the past, but to forgive the future sins that we're going to commit. And I promise you, if you get that kind of thinking, it will change your life. Romans 8.1, it says, now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. And I present today, no condemnation is the key to overcoming. Okay, if you're struggling with something, no condemnation 
is the key to overcoming. If God has chosen to par pardon us, we should also pardon ourselves. I think that's the biggest struggle that we all have, right? Like, it's easy for us to forgive other people. It's easy for, to, for us to understand that God forgives us, but sometimes we have to let go ourselves of anything that we've done. The second deadly sin, the second deadly sin that I'm going to present today is gluttony. Gluttony. I like food, right? Like, I mean, buffets, all that good stuff. Do they even have Golden Corral anymore? I don't even know, right? They probably shouldn't. I mean, anything that produces, like, forever cheese pouring out and chocolate and all that stuff. All right. But the answer that they have here is be moderate. I love this. Avoid sin. That means don't drive past the buffets, okay? And then once again, exercise. There's going to be a lot of exercise we got to do. That's why we got the gym next door. Just letting you know. Sign up today. Now, I agree that we shouldn't have an overindulgence in food. But to overcome gluttony with being moderate and avoiding sin, come on, right? How many of you ever heard this in the church world, right? In order to say no to sin, we have to study, right? We have to study. Scripture says, uh, in the Old Testament, it says we perish for a lack of knowledge. Everybody's heard that before, right? And listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of set, I want to set like a disclaimer for myself. I'm not going to talk bad about studying the Word of God, Okay? I'm not going to talk bad about reading your Bible. Of course we read our Bible. Of course we encourage it. And, I, and, and I'm not going to talk bad about scripture memorization. But I am going to let you know that I don't believe that scripture memorization is the key to overcoming our sin. I don't believe it. I don't. Um, because what did the disciples do to overcome sin? If you want to just use that as, like, what did they do? What, there was, I mean, they, if they read the Old Testament, well, that's going back to the law again. We can talk about all that stuff. Uh, but there was no, they were literally writing the Bible as they went. Uh, there was no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There was no, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. There was no, be not conformed to this world, right, the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Okay? There was none of these things out there. And if I can tell you from my own personal experience that scripture memorization does not catapult you to overcoming your sin. It doesn't. You can study all day long, and I promise you, the sin will still be right there. Um, number two spin, number two spin to overcoming sin. Okay? Focus on his grace. The, number two, the second thing I would say to overcoming sin is to focus on his grace. And now you might be saying, well, Matt, that just sounds too easy. That's the good news. <laughs> it is too easy. It sounds too good to be true. It is too good to be true. Right? I love this. Titus 2.11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to how many people? All people, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing, I, I, I left this in there because I could have skipped it, but I love it. While we, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of, great, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do that 
or eager to do what is good. Listen, I don't have this in my notes, but I'm just letting you know, if you are a believer, you will be eager to do what is good. Automatically. Automatically. Jesus is the grace of God that offers salvation to all people. His grace teaches us to say no to sin and yes to godliness. Look, I promise you, even the world, you don't have to go out and preach sin and condemnation to the world. They already know how to do, that they're doing the wrong thing. It, much less us as believers does not need to hear continually over and over again that we need to do good. We naturally will want to do good. I love what Paul Ellis said. He said, if the grace you're drinking teaches you to say yes to sin, it's not the grace of God. That is a man-made substitute. Saying grace promotes sin is like saying Jesus promotes sin. Grace isn't permission to sin. It's the power of God to sin no more. A law-based approach cannot work. Everybody knows this scripture. I think we talk about it enough. But 1 Corinthians 15, 56, it's in the Passion Translation. It is sin that gives death its sting and the law that gives sin its power. I'll say that again. It is sin that gives death its sting and the law that gives sin its power. Combating sin with the law is like trying to put out a fire with a bucket of gasoline. Anybody ever tried that? It doesn't work out too hot, okay? Uh, I'm going to tell you a quick um, story. Out in Arizona, we, we used to take the students to uh, acquire the fire. Anybody remember acquire the fire? It was with Ron Luce, big conferences. They were great, right? Um, but I was always disappointed with kind of the lackluster that what would happen when we'd come back is it felt like you came back with all this excitement and the students would kind of lose it. So I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, set up a cool illustration, okay? And I'm going to, on our brand new red carpeted stage, I'm going to build all these sticks with pine all up, okay? Now, mind you, it's Christmas time, so there's like fake snow all around the stage. Can you guys, are you starting to get a picture, right? Like cotton, very flammable things. All right? Then I take these little sternos and I place the sternos all over the stage, okay? Then I light all the sternos while I preach my sermon, okay? That's probably why I'm in here and not with the kids anymore, but anyways. Um, so I have them all lit. Can I finish this, what I thought was a great sermon? Well, it's 20 minutes in, and in order to give the illustration of you don't let this blow out your fire and all these other things, I have to blow the fire out, right? I, which I hadn't practiced this part yet. So I go back and I blow the little sterno, okay? And the substance that had been heating up for 20 minutes blew all over the stage, okay? And I did whatever any normal person, you could hear the crowd like kind of gasp, and I did what any normal person would do. I start taking my hand and smacking the stuff in the, and, and what happens is then it, then it shoots all sorts of more fires all over the place to where it's like inches from this cotton, okay? And I'm slamming, and every time I could hear the crowd go, ah, 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 right? It's just getting worse. Somebody comes up with a bucket of water, throws it, completely misses the fire. Then the guy hops up there, he starts stomping on the stage to put the fire out, right? We get all the doors open, there's smoke everywhere. I turn around, and the kids' eyes are like saucers, right? And you bet your boots I finished the sermon, though. I was like, I am not going to go through all this and not finish what I had to say about not losing your fire. But what I will tell you is no matter what I did, it only got worse. 
And trying to eliminate the sin in your life by using the law will only produce more sin. Right? It will only produce more. It will cause chaos. Um, it, is God, it is not God's law that teaches us to say no to, no to ungodliness. It is his grace. Some people think that if you only focus on how much God loves you and what he has done for you, then you'll fall into sin. Right? You can't just only talk about those things or you're going to fall into sin. Or if you hyper-focus on God's grace towards us, then we will have a ton of blind spots and won't look at the whole counsel of God. And I think the fear, I honestly think this is true, but I think the fear that we won't look at our sin, that we'll just continue in it. They'll, you know, they'll think, well, you'll never overcome your mountain if you ignore the mountain. Right? And here's what I'll tell you is grace is not denial of the mountain. Grace is the reality that sin is not ours to overcome. Grace only helps us to overcome any sin. The mountain has been climbed. Some might say, Matt, when you don't preach about the dangers of sin, some might misinterpret the message as an endorsement of sin. But listen, I love the scripture. It says, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? He became sin because we in and of ourselves could not overcome sin on our own. We can't do it. If you're hearing a message over and over again that it's your job to overcome sin and these are the steps that you got to do it, maybe block your ears. It's going to be tough not to understand that because in and of ourselves, I think it makes sense. Like, okay, well, I mean, I got the sin. I've got to overcome it. I've got to DIY. I've got to Home Depot this thing, right? But the truth is you will not be able to do that. Truth be told, the more we focus on our sin, the more we strengthen sin. It's almost like a magnifying glass towards our sin, especially when we don't even know what the commandments in the Bible are, right? I know I'm that way. Did you know that there's 248 positive commandments saying do this? And then there's 365 negative commandments. Man, that'd be real fun. Go through every single day of all the commandments. Do not do this. You do the calculations. We don't get victory over sin by striving to keep the rules. We overcome sin by trusting Jesus who loves us and lives within. I love the scripture. It says, so reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ and be free. So the first two I've covered so far are lust, gluttony. The third deadly sin I want to talk about is pride, which I actually think is the most dangerous sin of them all. Okay, I almost left it for the end, but I'm just like, ah, this is the order that they had it on the thing, so I'm going to stick with it. Um, but their answer to pride is to be humble, pray, and serve. And I, I've heard, I don't know how many messages, that the answer to pride is just to be humble. Answer, their, answer to pride is to be humble. But I can tell you, I've read a lot of scriptures on humbleness, and it didn't really help. It didn't really help with my humbleness. Like, how do you be humble? Like, do you just be passive all the time? Like, how do you, hum you kind of hold your head down low? You know, like, what's the answer? Just be humble? And some might say that grace creates a pride. Some might say that grace creates a pride because if we are too graceful, we won't think that we did anything wrong. We won't look at our sin and think that we did anything wrong. Can I tell you, since I've been on this grace journey, Right In regards to the seven deadly sins, I've overcome way more sin since I've understood grace. 
I really have, right? I've, I've overcome way more lust, and I think anybody would, basic, based off of understanding his forgiveness. I've overcome any type of indulgence. Under grace, he has taught me to say no to ungodliness. And I'm way more humble, maybe ask my wife after service, than I ever have been because I don't think that my overcoming is because of me. And I was proud about that. Anybody was proud? You know, were, were, were you guys ever proud about how many things? Like, I remember being proud about how many people I'd led to the Lord. I remember being proud about how much I'd read my Bible. I remember being proud that, man, I got up to pray this morning. Right? A specific prayer. I fell asleep in the middle of it. Didn't tell anybody about that, but I was still proud about getting up early, right? I thought God paid me a little extra attention because I had really worked hard to work out any sin in my life. I preached the gospel more than most. I'd done all those things. But unfortunately, contrary to popular belief, the race that's set before us is not overcoming sin. Like so many times we think, well, you got to run your race, man. You got to run your race of overcoming sin. You got to get over this and you got to be more like Jesus and you got to do these things and do this, never realizing the race that you're running is towards the cross. It's towards Jesus. It's towards what he's already done. Most think that the answer to removing pride is being humble. And what's funny is I remember being prideful about how humble I thought I was. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? Like, man, I am humble. I'm the most humble guy you've ever met. I used to say that sarcastically, but... The third spin to overcoming sin, and I know this sounds like a negative word, but is dependence. Jesus tried to show us this in Mark 10, 13 through 16, where he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. Humility is not so much a gift that you're born with, but an attitude that outside of myself, I can do nothing, right? You know that scripture says, humble yourself in the sight of God, and, and guess what the rest of it says, and he will lift you up. The reason why I think that pride is the most dangerous is because pride brings us to a place where we think that we can catch Dusty, right? Like when we get the opportunity to think that we can overcome and we can actually catch Dusty, right? It's pride that makes us think that we can resist our sin. It's pride that makes us think that we can be moderate. It's pride that makes us think that all I have to do is put on my humble hat, and then I'm humble. Then there's no pride. And we'll run and run. And for a lot of years, I ran and ran and continued to go back into the cage, thinking that next time I get an opportunity to run this race, man, I'm going to catch Dusty. Man, I'm going to overcome my sin. Never realizing that the true way to overcome your sin is by realizing, man, there's nothing that I can do to overcome this. It all has to do with him. It all has to do with what he did and the fact that he ran the race 
and paid for the thing that I couldn't overcome, that I couldn't do. And I can lean on that and trust in that. And I promise you, the more you do that, the more you look at the grace in your life, you can just look back and say, wow, look at all the things I overcame that I wasn't even trying to overcome and they just naturally worked out of my life because I focused on him and how much he had done for me. Amen? Would you guys stand with me real quick? We're going to pray. Just lift your hands, close your eyes. Father, we thank you, God, for today. God, I thank you, God, that we can walk with humility, God. We can walk with trusting you. Just say this with me. Say, God, say it with me together. Say, God, thank you, God, for what you did. And I don't have to do anything, God. I can rest in you. We trust you, Father, for today. We thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy and your love. The more we focus on those things, God, the more that you'll help us to overcome the things that we need to overcome. We're not looking to scripture memorization. We're not looking to all the things that we've tried in the past, all the formulas, God, but we just look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen and amen. Thank you.